Uh, welcome to Church and Other Drugs, and welcome back to the land of great President Trump. Ra, ra, ra. What's up? What was that? I don't know. It's my gunshot. It's oh, my gunshot sound oh, effect. easy. This is being recorded. We need no. Uh, we love our president. <laughs> no. That was more like a brat brat, you know, like, uh, not like more of like a figurative gunshot noise than like gotcha. a, like a, like a taking, like a taking shots, not like an actual shooting somebody. I would never. We, if you don't hear from us in the next week, <laughs> you know exactly what happened. Uh, I do love how like we've, um, somehow been able to stay away from politics and i would suggest we continue yeah to, wait, that is good do that that is yeah good. so what do you think about democrats <laughs> <laughs> what did you think i will about... just i will just say just on the note and then we should get off it but like everybody go check out um what chrissy Teigen made trend on twitter yeah it's funny this <laughs> evening was that last night or today it was either last night or, or I, I woke up to it so yeah. It is very funny. It's incredible. It's <laughs> it really is very funny. Yeah. Did you uh, watch uh, Chappelle? I did. I watched the shit out Chappelle. I loved it. I know you did. Did you I not know. love you it? Just, you're, you're like white, Anglo-Saxon, Christian male, dumb. Loved it. Wow, dude. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm totally fucking with you. <laughs> I liked most of it. I... I um. I loved that um, as a comedian, he just fucking went there. There were some things that I did not think were funny, but like. Just from like a humor standpoint. Yeah, most pedophile jokes just like never go over, Mm. just like don't go over well. I just don't think they're funny. But like, I appreciate that he just fucking went for it, you know? Well, and I, and, uh, I, I like anyone. He just doesn't give a fuck. No, and he sticks to his guns because he's been saying yeah. that Michael Jackson stuff since Chappelle show, right? Like right, the whole right, right. yeah. So it's like you know whatever. Good for him having an opinion, sticking with it, and yeah. Well, and like well, he actually, thinks they're a... funny, and a lot of people think that they're funny. So like okay, but just because a... I don't think it's funny doesn't mean I can I need to like burn it down. I just you know? rea- I just realized like Hitler probably stuck to his guns too. So that was probably a stupid <laughs> statement. Good for you Hitler pulling it you all the way through. You know who else sticks to their guns is our president in chief just to complete that circle. President Cheeto, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh so you're back in the states and your world fell apart. Yeah, that happened. That was super fun. Did it really? Um yeah. What well, I it? just what was Go it ahead. like? Yeah, coming back from a three, three or four months. It was two months. Two months. Not nine weeks. Yeah, oh, it felt it, like longer. It was incredible. Um, and then, like, I just got thrown into the deep. Like, work just completely flipped itself on its head. Like, the moment I touched down, I got a bunch of new clients, and then lost my largest client, which is like a mega client. And so it's just been like, oh God, why did I come back? I'm sure yeah. they were like, we've, uh, listen here, listen. Here. And sorry for those that are, uh, new John's been, uh, he took his family to Mexico for the summer to work overseas and just have a grand old time. I think what That's happened right. was the, the company that your client, they saw your mm-hmm. Facebook page and they're like, listen, we're, we have a very strict anti pedophile mustache. 
policy, <laughs> and you're rocking a very serious one. So we're gonna we're going in a different yeah. direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I get I get it. You know, I totally understood their decision. Um, yeah. So that was tough. But uh, are you adjusting? And it's just now? hard. Or not? Yeah. Your I face guess. says not at all. Are you gonna I, cut and run? Dude, I would love to. I I need to like make some changes in my business to be able to operate fully remotely, mm. like not be like here ever. So, um, over a period of time, I don't I don't know, dude. I don't know. Right now, I'd love to just bounce, but Oof. dang, dude, you know, that's a lot. I have a lot of a uh, a lot of friends lately having the ready to go done with the current situation, ready to bounce mindset. And I, I don't want um, like my jokes about our current administration to be like, Oh, well he's a, you know, snowflake and he's just, he should just move to Canada. And like, I don't, that part of, of it like really doesn't factor into me wanting to not be in the oh, yeah, I know. Like that, I don't give it. Like honestly, like it's all gonna, it's all fluid. Like everything's always gonna change, and like whatever. But um, it's like culturally, um, man, people are just so wound so fucking tight here, man. Yeah. And it's it's hard to just like operate. Like you drive down the street and people are honking and like, ah, people just yeah. rage all the time. It is like, a very no reason ramped up society. Well, they do have a mm-hmm. reason. <laughs> They're going to this job that they hate, you know. Right. Their to wife make, cheated on them for the fifth time. To make money to spend on things that they don't need in houses that are too big and cars that are too nice. And like, yeah, it's, it sucks. I think I'll, I'll quote Papa Roach, the great philosopher of our time. Please don't. Said, please, uh, please, God, don't. Uh, what's the line? Um, something, something, buying that shit you don't need. It's too bad that the world is based on greed. Dude, that's a... Uh, Dropping that knowledge, Dropping the knowledge, bro. Since I remember in all... So, all right, you know when you look back at your old life and you just cringe like a mug? So I was hanging out with my youth pastor like on our like afternoon hangouts as they do. And mm-hmm. um, God, I was like 15. And this is when that Papa Roach song came. I think it was called... It was Broken Home or something like that. And uh, I was like, Doug, you got to listen to this. It's like, I know it's like this like mainstream rock but he's actually talking about like deep stuff and i played this song from i'm like listen to those lyrics in his face just like yeah Uh i I, I see it man good Good (laughs) Uh, oh god doug yep 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 you remember doug no i don't know if i ever met doug Mm. doug was awesome doug if you're listening I didn't come to your youth group very much because, like, it was much harder to sneak away and smoke weed than my youth group. That's true. We just did it beforehand. <laughs> that what? Was, we just did it beforehand or afterwards. Right. Our, our thing, yeah. So we'd, we'd go from – you remember Kevin Riley, though. Uh-huh. Yeah, so our thing was, like, so we'd have youth group and then we'd go to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so stereotype. It's so funny. But so in between – the drive from church to Chick-fil-A, me and Kevin would stop by this, uh, right. And, uh-huh. and just chug it real quick. You know, it's so dumb. It is so dumb. And then we'd sit there and pretend that like, um, we weren't drunk 
<laughs> That's the dumbest, dude. It is, dude. <laughs> we were so dumb, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Just like growing up in a like it wasn't even that small of a town, but just a small town with nothing to do. Yeah. You know? It's you go and like bring vodka to Sonic. Like, yeah, Club Sonic, Sonic and, and watch people yeah. race around and I've I've found that that's pretty ubiquitous though. Like you that think wasn't so? just us. Yeah, everyone I've most people I've talked to, well, I guess you live in the middle of nowhere now. That's actually. true. I I, I guess I, <laughs> I'm still in the south. So I'll say in the south, right? Yeah. Most people hung out at Sonic and got drunk and that was it. If those slurpees mall. aren't begging to get spiked, like they I are. don't know what is. Especially when they made the Red Bull slush. Bro, bro dog. That shit was good, too. I went to go get one the other day, and it was gone. I got real sad. What? Yeah. It was a quick summer thing. That's like the, uh, the what's those margaritas where you put the beer in them? That's like Sonic's version of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they just, you like, dump the Corona in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was never a big uh, margarita drinker. Which was always so dumb. I was like, can you just put more fucking tequila in it for me, please? This is so <laughs> stupid. <laughs> Um, so I started school. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Been, um, been chronicling the dumb shit I hear in psychology class now. So the funniest, so far, just the funniest was, well, there's two. So there's this kid. So we had to, at the very beginning, uh, everyone had to go up, you know, uh, to the front of the room, give a little intro. What's your name? Where are you from? Why do you take this class? Yada, yada, yada. Who is your father? What does he do? Who is your father? What does he do? So this kid, <laughs> hoodie on, hands in the hoodie, a uh, little white boy walks up and goes, I mean, I don't even remember his name, but like, my name Anthony. Um, That's really all I want to say, you know, so uh, so, I, so <laughs> it, in case I get indicted, you know what I'm saying? And we're all like, the fuck? What? <laughs> what? In the case goes, you get indicted. Indicted? He was like, yeah, you know, like Fifth Amendment and stuff. Like, I don't know. Really, like, she's like, okay, have a seat. Oh my god! It's, Welcome to community college, bro. Oh, it's the best. And so, and I ironically sat in what our teacher calls the Jesus section because it's a bunch of older women that come that like are all go to the same church. It's really funny how that worked out. So it That's really incredible. is like the Christian sections. So they're all super nice or whatever. And so we're ta- <laughs> we're, we're we're having they all bring a, cookies and muffins and That's stuff. A, the exact type. So we're um. <laughs> talking about a case study in which like alcohol does alcohol make uh you hornier basically or does like increase sexual arousal and this the same kid halfway through raises his hand goes yo this this shit crazy you mean like they be taking tests to see if they be fucking more when they drinking and shit and and everyone just like it just it just stopped the class dude it's like uh uh, uh, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah um, so it's it's full of chock full of fun, dude. Has um, gosh, what was that kid's name from your drug classes? Has he shown up yet? The methadone mumbler. Methadone mumbler. I think he's still working at CC's Coffee somewhere in Baton Rouge. Last I heard, uh, bro, dog. Bless his heart. That dude. Bless his little heart, dude. The epic methadone mumbler meltdown was one of my favorite moments in podcast history it was dude he went absolutely bananas dude he skipped (laughs) his meds um so i do so i finally got 
a technology addiction person that I'm talking to today. Oh, for real? Yeah, that's what he does is video game and phone addiction. Interesting. Yeah, so I'm about I to I found get... it really hard. I'm trying, like I'm actively, I just upped my meditation game and I've been meditating regularly. And I got to a point a couple of years ago where I was only like allowing myself to check my phone during like specific times of the day. And I got to be able to stick to that. And it was so unbelievably freeing. And I'm trying to move back towards that. And I'm having a, such a hard time. Oh, dude, it's the worst. And wait, what did yeah. you say? I was texting. <laughs> <laughs> you it's, really it's, were, it, though. I saw it, you. I did no. I checked the time. I checked the time. I checked the time, <laughs> and now I had to check the time again because I'm just yeah. So that's what I'm gonna be like. Listen, I, I half of me doesn't even want to have the talk because it's gonna. He's gonna be like, yeah. He's all, he's big on um uh screen time hours and being strict with it and like mm, that's yeah, dope. I know. So is he going to like die like formally diagnose you or like is a, that I'm not a, how I'm that a, works? I'm gonna ask him to. <laughs> <laughs> I can get a prescription. You yeah, got a prescription I, for this? Yeah. He's going to prescribe me one of those dumb phones. Oh, I'm, God, dude. I honestly kind of want one. 100%. If I was, if like my business wasn't tied into social media and email, I for sure would get a dumb phone. Well, no. I mean, you know what they are? I they're, might they're, still they're companions. Do yeah, so yeah, yeah. The light phone? Uh uh-uh, uh. I don't know. So it's me. hooked up. It's called <laughs> this episode brought to you by Light Phone. Uh, it's hooked up, it's fl- Hey, that one is, uh, <laughs> that one, uh, the, the electronics are going to get shorted out real quick. Um, <laughs> it's a separate phone that's linked into your phone, the same number, same accounts, all that. And all it is, is so that when you leave, you just take this one and it just receives, I believe calls, maybe text. I don't think text, but it's not a separate phone line or anything. It's just a companion so that you can leave your phone more often. Like at home. Like at home. The problem is like, that's money. If I'm leaving, if I'm in a place where I can leave my phone at home, which is pretty, I'd say probably pretty often actually. Like anytime I go out for not more, like less than a couple hours, I should probably just leave my fucking phone at home anyway. That's what I need to start doing too. You know but I mean? how am I going to listen to music? That's my other thing. So it's like maybe oh, I need to get an MP3 shit, player again. Because, dude, I don't know if I told you, but I had to – this was – it was so disgusting how bad I felt. But I had to I, – I got a new phone, and it was going to take like two and a half hours for them to transfer all the stuff. And they're like, so you can go eat or something. And I was like, oh, okay. But – Okay, so I just left. So wait, I'm not gonna have a phone. I don't have for a phone. Time? I, dude, I promise you the the feeling of like disconnectedness, and mm-hmm. it was like palpable. I like, oh, I went, for sure. oh, dude, I went to El Pollo Loco, and I had to bring a book in to because I was like, what, <laughs> what am I gonna do while I eat, dude? And I brought a book, and I was like, this isn't the same. And then I just kind of sat there and looked around, and I was like, this is – I feel very uncomfortable. And seven minutes had passed. Oh, dude. I wouldn't know. I didn't have a phone. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Meditation really helped me get, like, comfortable with that. And just really? being like – Yeah, for sure. That was the only way that that worked. And, again, hmm. it was for a period of, like – three to six months a couple of years ago, I was able to, I would check it after I, I'd work out and meditate in the morning. I check my phone, email, social, 
I'd check it at lunch, like right after that, like early morning. I'd check it at lunch, and then I'd check it like after dinner. Um, but I had oh, to be nice. on email throughout the day on my computer for work and stuff. But yeah, even that would be if if I could just go back to browsing whatever like entertainment browsing on a computer as opposed to a phone that'd be a huge change because you're still having to like i'd have to go to this room and you know it's mm-hmm. i'd be much less prone to just sit there right so and what do i even fucking do like that's what nothing I, like i can't even think of although i did last night i was, I <laughs> was talking to my wife and uh, we just stumbled into this funny video and it was the first time i could remember that like the video gods had presented me with something like worth a shit because I watched a video and then it was the next video up and it was incredible. And that's the only time I can, can't tell you how many times I've watched that, those next videos about a bazillion, but that was the first time I remember like, Oh, thank God. Oh yeah. The algorithms have presented me with this glory. There has, and and there has been, yes, dude, totally. And there has been some times where like, literally it's like it, it made my day better. And yeah. the, the thing is, yeah. is that like this isn't going away. So it's one of those: is this just a new part of life? You know, is this just the uh, next step? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, know it either. is. It's part of life now. <clears throat> I mean, right? It's. I don't know if it's the next part of life. I think we're gonna. The our generation points. and the next generation are going to have to uh, figure out how to be disciplined with it well and and that's that's so that that's the interesting phenomenon about like working with teenagers is i i felt like i would be hearing them bitch and moan about not having their phones constantly i don't hear Mm -hmm. anything about it none not a peep they don't say anything no not at all maybe maybe the first day because it's gone and then it's gone and that's it yeah my kids too like so they got I think I've talked about this on the podcast. Mm-hmm. How they gave them freaked their out on YouTube. And it was like awful at first. And now um, Mexico really helped a lot because we just like didn't give them shit in Mexico. And we didn't watch TV and we read and it was awesome. But um, when we give it to them now and we take it when it's uh, when the timer's up, it's just like that's just it. My five-year-old would be like, oh, man. And, <laughs> oh, like, that's, that's cute. It. <laughs> oh, shucks. Cute. The other day, from like across the house, we heard, "Oh man, I runted out of time." <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> I want to say that I want that to be my dying words. Like as I'm, like, oh man, I runted out of time. <laughs> Everyone will yeah. get a good chuckle out. Of it. it was great. It was wonderful. But <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> I'm in the electric chair. Any last words, Mr. Payne? Oh, man. I run oh, it out of time. <laughs> yeah, that'd be funny. Oh, dude. Well, let's uh, let's find out how addicted I really am. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
Alan. Let me try it. Tokosh. Oh yeah. Well, you got the name. You got the last name right, but the the first name uh, also right. But I usually go by Ross. Oh, okay. Ross. 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 Yeah. Alan's your government name. I'm assuming. Yeah, that's the name that's on my birth certificate, my social, and all that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> so Ross. But, well, so I go by Ross Tokosh. Okay. Where you, uh, where are you at? Where are you coming from? I am in Seattle, Washington at the moment. Okay. What's the... Uh, Which I've been for the past five years. Where uh, where were you previously? Uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania. Oh, nice. So born in Baltimore, grew up outside of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and uh, went to school in Pittsburgh, and uh, went to college in Pittsburgh, and then did grad school out here in Seattle and decided to stay here. So how do you, which do you like better? You know, I go back and forth sometimes. Um, I really, in some ways miss Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh was a really, uh, was a really cool town. Uh, especially if you had like the right friends, but it was so sporty of a city. Mm-hmm. Um, like whether it be for Steelers or pirates or penguins, I was, I was never super into the sports. Yeah. So it was, it was like, yeah, I went to pirate games and everything. I never went to any of the other games, but, uh, but it was very sporty of a town, but it also had some really nice restaurants in it as well. Um, and some really nice neighborhoods and some really nice hangout places. Seattle, um, less pressure to be sporty over here, although they do the stuff over here. Um, a lot more laid back in some ways. Are, so. you, are you an uh, It's Always Sunny fan? Yes. Good. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's less pressure to be sporty, but there's much more pressure to be cool and liberal, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, I suppose. Like, well, I remember there was this show that I really like called um, Six Feet Under. It mm-hmm. was on HBO. And there was a quote in the one of the later seasons of a guy who's just kind of like the old guy. He's kind of a square. And uh, he starts dating one of like uh, one of the main characters. And she says something to him like, you're the most uncool guy ever. And he says, well, since being cool is a juvenile concern, I take that as a compliment. <laughs> and I thought that, that line has always stuck with me because I am not a cool guy. <laughs> not a cool guy. <laughs> so I, I stumbled across you on a Reddit AMA, right? So I've yeah. been – so I don't know how much you looked into my show, if at all. It's completely fine, if not at all. But so our show, uh, I'm a recovered heroin addict. I'm also a uh, addictions counselor. Um, okay. at, uh, an adolescence and veterans now, uh, oh, nice. treatment center. Yeah. So I've been looking for someone to talk to about with technology and video game addiction stuff. So I came across your AMA and I was like, yes, must try to yeah. talk to him. So what, what, I guess you're, I hate the word qualifications, but so what do you do for a living and how did you get into that and all that stuff? Yeah. So I'm a, on, I'm a licensed mental health counselor associate, so I went to got my bachelor's in psychology from Duquesne University uh, in Pittsburgh, and I got my master's degree here at Seattle University, and became a licensed mental health counselor associate. And yeah, so I run a private practice over here. I've worked uh, for the past seven or eight years in mental health, um, working in psychiatric hospitals and clinical settings and inpatient settings, but also in the community um, with a lot of different types of people. I've worked with people who are undergoing active psychosis and schizophrenia when I first kind of got into the field. And then I became more of an adolescent kind of counselor. Yeah. Um, 
when I, especially when I was working in the inpatient clinics and the hospitals, I started working more with teenagers there. And I was just like, teens are awesome. So I want to keep working with them. They are. And yeah. So I made more of a leaning and a specialization to work with teens, I suppose. And then what kind of started to come up, well, with teens and, and middle schoolers and stuff like that. Um, and then as time kind of went on, there were uh, more cases that I was seeing related to technology and gaming addiction and things like that. And uh, wanted to kind of make that more of a narrow specialization for myself. Yeah. Are you um... right now? I'm currently in private practice for myself, so I'm not a not a slave to the wage anymore. Dude, that must be nice. Yeah, I was gonna ask, just counselor to counselor. So you've been doing this for eight years now. So what's your what's your self care routine, and how have you avoided the burnout? Especially <laughs> starting off working with active uh, psychosis patients, like it's that shit is not easy, right? It's not easy now. What helped me during that time was I was so interested in the psychotic experience. Hmm. Like I wasn't, I was not, I wasn't crazy interested. I've never been super interested in the, in the, in the neurobiology of things like, or what is dopamine doing? What is serotonin doing? What are the neurotransmitters doing? I was never really super interested in that side of things. I was more interested in what the individual's experience was of what they're, what they were experiencing, like what their world looks like. So to someone who, is undergoing an active psychosis where say they think that they are invisible or something like that. Like they're literally thinking they're invisible or they're hearing voices or seeing things that aren't really there, I suppose. But I was so interested because well, to them, they are hearing it. They are there to, to them. They are seeing the thing to them. They are invisible. And so that was always really interesting to me. So talking to people during that time and talking to the patients and just learning about that was really what kept me interested when I had the opportunity to. Yeah. Um, I, I fell out of love with the inpatient clinical psychiatry setting um, for a lot of reasons. Yeah, I was going to ask what made you fall out of love with it. I can think of a thousand, but you specifically. I know. I, I'm wondering how much trouble I can get in. You're going to get me in trouble. Yeah, don't, yeah don't, don't get yourself in trouble. But uh, yeah, I mean, we can just yeah. sum it up as it's tough. And there's the, the business side of things always sucks yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 I'll put it, the, the, the administrative and the management side of things and the money side of things often got in the way of what a lot of other of us were trying to do, which was like uh, help, help people. people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So a lot of times it would be like, Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting with this patient. I want to sit with them a little bit more. I want to talk with them a little bit more. I want to understand them a little bit more. And then we would get like admin and management being like, okay, well, their insurance isn't paying for this anymore. So you need to get them out. Yeah. They're, so, they're, they're the insurance they're, they're, cure. Yeah. They're, they're not ready to go home yet. So I don't, I'm not comfortable sending them home where they're like, well, you gotta, <laughs> so I, I stopped being comfortable with that. Yeah. How's uh, how's private practice been? A slow build. I've been in private practice for two years now, and it was just like a slow build, basically, as far as like, I'm really bad at the business side of things. As like a, a more therapist, as a more, um, uh, yeah, just like a counselor mind, therapy mind kind of guy. Yeah, not an I, entrepreneur. Yeah, I, I don't really have that kind of entrepreneur drive spirit a lot of the times. Like some of us do have that, and some people do really, really well. So things like marketing and networking, I was never really like, ah, got to get out there and go to all the events and have all this stuff printed out and all that kind of stuff. But uh, 
I'm, I'm slowly getting more involved with that kind of stuff. Um, which if I would, if I'd have done that early on, I would have done, uh, would have built my practice a lot faster, but it built at the pace that it needed to, to grow at. Sure. So, but so, yeah, right now, right. Do you, so most of, or most counselors I've met, we, we got into it because we ourselves have something wrong with us or we've experienced something where we, you know, we're broken people as a whole. Is that, does that ring true for you? Do you have any, um, any mental stuff going on or in your past or was it just a pure, Uh, pure interest? Yeah. You'd ask what's wrong with you, Ross. You can ask that. (laughs) Totally. What's, what's your, uh, what's your diagnosis? What do you got going on? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's the whole uh, the the wounded healer archetype yes. thing. Yep. Yeah. So that 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 all of us therapists love and hate at the same time. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah. So I've struggled with uh, depression and anxiety uh, for a while. Also, uh, coming to terms with things related to some uh, like some abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. So some complex PTSD from that kind of stuff as well. Um, whoa, there it goes. Yep. Yeah, I know it's, it's going to happen a million times. All right, there we go. So yeah, the, uh, depression, anxiety, kind of some complex PTSD from an abusive relationship as well. Um, so the depression and anxiety dates back to, um, when I was in high school, basically. And I, uh, came down the anxiety side was more of a, uh, response to a, a friend of mine passing away suddenly from a sudden illness. And so I became very uh, concerned about my own health and it be kind of became a hypochondriac mm-hmm. a bit, which isn't even really a, I don't even think it's really a formal diagnosis, hypochondriasis anymore. I think it's, I don't, I don't even think it's actually its own DSM thing anymore. I could be wrong about that. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I became a hypochondriac and uh, was always concerned about my health and I was always like concerned about my heart. Um, it would show up in ways like I, I was working in audiovisual tech at the time. I was trying to work in uh, as a filmmaker and working as a camera operator and everything. And uh, right after high school and it would show up, uh, we would be on the road and I would be like waiting for a, uh, a highway sign that had the age for the hospital. I would oh, be waiting wow. I would be like, okay, there's one. So if anything goes wrong, I am near a hospital. (laughs) Nice. That's, I mean, hey. Yeah. And so I would, and then like 20 minutes would go by and then I would be like, oh crap, where's the next one? You know? (laughs) So it would be ways like that. I used to go and get like MRIs and CAT scans on my father's health insurance (laughs) when I was a teenager. Um, Yeah. So I would really... I was really paranoid about that kind of stuff. I was really freaked out about that kind of stuff. And depression has always kind of been there for me. Depression is kind of like that. I have an interesting relationship. I was, I I see a therapist regularly myself and I was talking about it today. And have you ever seen the show uh, big mouth on Netflix? Uh, yeah, I've seen a few episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the most recent episodes, I guess in the newest season, there's a, there's a, there's a cat that represents depression and it's a big cat and uh she like lies on top of one of the characters chests and she's just like you know you, you feel so warm but you're so heavy you know yeah. <laughs> like a weird relationship with depression sometimes where you're just kind of like oh you know it's 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 warm and it's heavy at the same time so it is I don't, strangely I don't... comfortable yeah it is in a weird way like stay in bed all day it's cool man it's mm-hmm. fine 
Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, I've got a lot of stuff going on for me right now where I staying in bed, what's actually helped me with that is, is not an option. So staying in bed is just not an option. I've got too many projects going on and too many people that, uh, you know, count on me for things. And so, so yeah. Cool, man. So, and then you have your own podcast too. Correct. Yep. I have the No Normal Podcast, uh, where I interview artists, creatives, and other stand-up comedians. I do stand-up comedy on the side as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so, uh, that's one of my projects, (laughs) but, uh. But yeah, so I uh, interview comedians about and other artists about how mental health has shown up in their art form and in their stand-up or in their creativity. So if they struggle with depression, do they talk about depression on stage? Or if they've been divorced, do they talk about being divorced on stage? And how those bits and how those pieces have kind of come together for them. And also what it's like for them to actually sit and and write uh, those kinds of materials. Because with stand-up comedy, it's really hard to write material in general, but it's also really hard to write things that you're working through emotionally, you know? And that's, and that's something that a lot of comics, especially like newer comics, I think, but maybe not even just newer comics, but a lot of comics, they, they always want to talk about, uh, things that are real or personal with them, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, no, that's, um, that's, we all, that also checks a bunch of boxes with me. I'm, I'm a, uh, artist. I draw and paint and then, um, love comedy. I just, my, I'd finally dabbled in stand up like last year that went well. Okay. That was fun. It is like, it is super exhilarating and super fun. I don't know if I'll ever do it again though. Cause it's like, <laughs> a, you know, probably, but especially the place I was doing it, I'm, you know, I'm stone cold sober. So everyone had the, the nice liquid courage going and I was just like, well, this is uh much more difficult, but that was pretty much what I just played off of. Uh, you can get a few laughs yeah. out of that, get some mileage Thanks. from it. Yeah, it's actually, uh, I think the, the comedian Rafi May, rest in peace, uh, he was the one that gave advice to comics, like, don't don't drink before going on stage, like, don't drink at the venue and all that kind of stuff. Like, he was, you know, he was, he was very much a proponent of, like, don't drink on the job, because when you're performing, that's you doing your job. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. It's, so it's I, also, too, what I've noticed, and I'm sure you have, too, is the, the people that are more comedic-minded I would say way more often than not have the depressive tendencies and the self-esteem issues and the anxieties and stuff like that. Yep. I'm, I'm sure you found that to be true from talking to people. Yeah, that was something that I studied in college as well because I, I noticed that and I wanted to hear why people wanted to do stand-up comedy. Like it started out with researching and studying things like self-deprecating humor. Mm-hmm. And so with self-deprecating humor, I was just like, okay, so people are going up on stage and they're talking crap about themselves and in the meantime, they're depressed, and then people are laughing at them because they're talking about this stuff. I'm like, what is that like for the person? Why is that person putting themselves in that situation? It's it's and, like uh, the Roast Me subreddit. That's an endless, like, why do people do that? And they, yeah, get, yeah, yeah. they get, I mean, <laughs> go home and kill yourself brutal. You know what I mean? Like, there are some, that is an interesting phenomenon, too. Uh, I've always thought about doing it too. So I guess I can understand the appeal of like, I guess it's like, do I think, am I strong enough to take the most severe esteem beating ever? Obviously I there's, haven't, I haven't done it yet. So probably won't. There's a, there's an open mic here in, uh, in Seattle called the heckle Mike. And oh, it's, God. 
it's great because you go up on stage, you do a, you know two or three minutes of material, and then for the rest of the two three minutes of the set, the audience has an opportunity to roast you. Uh, and, have you done it? Oh heck yeah! <laughs> Is it what's it like? It's depending on who's in the audience because most of the people that are engaging in the heckle mic are also comedians. Okay, so yeah, so that's good. Getting, you're just getting torn apart by people left and right while you're on stage. <laughs> it's actually, it's incredibly helpful because it's it's a playful environment, but also at the same time, it can be brutal. Yeah, uh, and. It's hel- it, it is also kind of helpful to kind of be like, oh, this is how people see me in a way, in like a goofy yeah. way. Then you can kind of maybe work something out with it. But yeah, how come mics are really fun? Oh, man. I, do you have uh, – yeah, I would love to see that sometime. That sounds like a good idea. I can totally see how that would be really beneficial if you can just get over the – just learning how to not take things so personally. Oh, no, um, you never – you go home crying every time. Yeah. <laughs> but then you come back the next heck of Mike and do it again. It's, yeah, there's a weird sadism <laughs> to it. So let's let's uh, bring it to the topic of, of the hour. Uh, video game, I'm assuming phone screen addiction. Uh, as you can see, my, my PlayStation just turned off. I got my cell phone right here. Uh, yep. I'm, I've wanted to do this, but I haven't wanted to because I have a, a very – just because I'm so, well, a couple of reasons. A, because I'm, my training and my uh, personal experience is I, you know, I have this addictive personality, so I'm very, very aware of anything in my life that I do compulsively. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, once you quit drugs, then you notice all the other things in your life that you do compulsively and addictively. And I would absolutely 100% say that my phone uh, is one of those. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so just kind of give me a, uh, intro into that and let's go from there. You're a gamer yourself too. Is that right? Oh yeah. I'm a gamer. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I, I really, I have my PlayStation over there in the corner as well. So, yeah. uh, I'm more into the, the single player narrative story driven kind of games. I'm, I'm replaying the last of us right now. Nice. Yeah. So, um, so those kinds of games are the games that I'm more into than any of the other games like I, I got into Fortnite for a little bit for a little bit i got into it because I, I yeah go ahead no and i was gonna say see it's like things like my phone and you can tell me if this is just imagination or if this is a legitimate phenomenon it's like my attention span toward things like that has gotten so low and it's like it takes you know i'm in you know first person shooters or just quick in and out games more that I can jump in, jump out. And like the last story driven I tried to play was God of War. And I have this thing where I'll, I have to stay on a run with it. And if I stop it and don't play it for like two or three days, then like, that's it. I don't feel like reinvesting into it because it's like, I got to relearn. And it's like, I've already disconnected and moved on to the other thing. So that's one of the things as I feel like, and same with, I'm a huge uh, movie buff like that's my hobby that's my escape and all that and it's really I can't I've noted you know doing the two screen thing you know watching mm-hmm. TV while I've got my phone and it's like god and it's just so yeah, yeah. irritating just noise coming from everywhere mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah so um, what was what was the question actually yeah I guess I'm trying to figure out a, um, a brief a way to dive into what you've learned about it kind of um ways you like how you would 
diagnose and walk someone through it. Like, what's the treatment for it? Air quotes. You know, what uh, tips and tricks? How do you know something is problematic? Or and what exactly is it doing to our brains or our lives and behavior? Right, right, right. All right, cool. So a lot of stuff to cover there. I will yeah, try. yeah. So an, an easy question, you know. So answer yeah. that in three sentences, please. Yeah. Uh, short, short version is uh, short version is as uh, you got a problem when gaming is kind of taking up the majority of time, and there are negative consequences tied to the gaming, and you or the individual does not really care or isn't really doing much to kind of change uh, their situation regarding those negative consequences. So they're either getting in you know trouble with school, like their grades are failing, they're not attending school anymore. Uh, relationships with their, uh, you know, partners or their significant others are starting to suffer. Um, work is starting to kind of suffer. They're like calling out of work or they just kind of go to work and they're kind of like zombified and they come home and then they play games and everything. Their health, uh, malnutrition is a big thing. Um, so people not getting enough uh, calories per day or something like that. And so they're pretty malnourished and dehydration is a thing as well. And just general personal hygiene and all that kind of stuff as well. So all Mount, of these Mountain Dew count as hydration? Uh, sure, why not? I mean, you got to <laughs> you know, mix that with some Baja Blast from Taco Bell. Like, there, there you go. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so all of those negative consequences, and you might have all of them, or you might have a, a small number of them, but um, it usually kind of slowly escalates and whatnot over time, and that's kind of one of the uh, one of the things when it comes to gaming or gaming addiction is like it's kind of like a slow build almost. And so people don't really realize until a family member or someone says something or um, or if they do have some sort of awareness of their own obsessiveness or their uh, addictive personalities, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, so it goes kind of under the radar for a while because, I mean, also like technology and gaming, it's so normalized in our culture. Like if someone is doing heroin for an example like everybody's going to say like heroin's bad don't do heroin right you know, no one's going to say like do heroin in moderation you know so you know um Except there's pharmaceutical companies they might, they I, might push I, was gonna, I wasn't gonna go there you, okay <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah so what is that in your background oh those are yep. ferrets Oh, that was a ferret. I was just like, what is that? <laughs> yeah, so I, I was interviewing one person. They're like, okay, I don't want to. I don't want to freak you out, but I'm pretty sure a rat just went through your window. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah. No, that's that's my ferret. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, so yeah, so that's it, kind of in a nutshell, I suppose. Like, there's a lot of negative consequences. There's a lot of things. It's very normalized, so it's kind of hard to detect. And also, it's affecting a lot of like middle school kids or high school kids who they themselves. It's going to be really hard for them to. Uh, self-police and self-monitor this. Like, they're not going to come to mom and dad or a therapist and say, I think I've got a problem with this. Right. You know, you know, it's going to be the mom or the dad or the parent or somebody or school getting involved and kind of doing some detective work around it and just kind of being like, oh, this person is prioritizing gaming over everything else in their life. What's, what's, can you think of, um, and I guess speaking real as, as generally as you can, can you think of like the worst, uh, some of the worst examples you've heard of? I mean, there's the, there's the story out of South Korea, I think. I mean, the stories that I've encountered personally, I mean, I can't talk can about go, like, yeah, exactly. No. So just <laughs> like in, uh, in your studies. Yeah. So there was the, uh, case that there's a documentary that came out. I think it's a movie called love child. I think, 
Um, I'm going to say it's like Valerie Vitek something is the director's name. Um, story out of South Korea where um, a couple had a child and they neglected the child because they were playing an online game. They were playing like an MMO or an RPG or something like that and they were playing it together. And they neglected the child and the child died. Jeez. Uh, yeah. So, and there is a, a, a whole documentary about that case and how uh, video game addiction and stuff like that is kind of, uh, I don't want to say started, but maybe it did uh, more in like Asian countries like South, uh, South Korea and Japan and all that kind of stuff. They're kind of more on top of it than America is. Because um, so- it, it was only correct me if i'm wrong but it was like recently like the last five years like an official diagnosis right so it got diagnosed by the world health organization okay it is not officially in the dsm-5 so yeah so for for, for those listening the dsm-5 is let's refer to as kind of uh the the psychiatric bible you know Mm -hmm. it's kind of all the diagnoses uh uh, that are out there, you know, depressions in there, PTSD is in there, all that kind of stuff's in there. And it kind of shows the diagnostic criteria for, uh, and research around those different diagnoses and internet gaming disorder is in the DSM five, but it's under the section. It's like page like 870 something of this, mm-hmm. like 900 page thing. So it's at the very end almost. And it's, uh, characterized as like an area for further study. It's not officially oh, okay. in there it's in there as an area for further study what do you what's your opinion on that uh why it's not in it's or not do, you, do you do you think it should be i go back and forth sometimes like i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of weird in the sense where i'm just kind of like all right what's what's needed with a diagnosis like do sure. when, I, when i work with when i work with a client when i work with somebody i'm like do you want a diagnosis or will that help you? Like how will labeling this help you? Yeah, and especially that's a good when, point. So when I'm working with somebody, especially teenagers, I noticed this when I was working in the hospitals. If you give like a teenager, like a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old a diagnosis, I noticed that there is a chance that they will identify with the diagnosis. 100%. We, we Every now and then we will get a kid that either comes in with their own DSM or they'll ask us for one. And we're like, no, 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 no. You don't need that. Like put, they've like grown up with therapist parents or whatever. And it's like, no, 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 don't. It's like, yeah, it's like WebMD syndrome. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Which I I can be guilty of as well, but yeah, no, I I can totally see that. Yeah. Well, there's also the the phrase, the enemy, you know, is easier to fight than the enemy that you don't know. So I could, I could see a teenager being like, okay, let's put a name to this so I can know what, I, what I'm struggling with or what's going on here. Yeah. And um, I could see them doing that. But then so many times I've seen people like identify as I'm the bipolar kid, you know, right? right. I, it's, it's, or, or, or I'm the anxious kid or something like that. Like it's, it's, it's not conducive to treatment, I suppose all the time, you know? No, that, that's a good point. What would you think? Well, and so do you lump in, um, is video game addiction in your eyes separate from, I guess, let's say phone addiction or uh, not like, t- I guess, yeah, like technology in general? Do you kind of separate or is it, or is it basically the same thing that's going on? 
Well, it's it's called internet gaming disorder. So there's that kind of thing. So any kind of time that you're online and you're playing games and you're engaged with something, so whether it be like a mobile game on your phone uh, or sitting on the PlayStation or the PC, like that's kind of all taken under the umbrella kind of uh, of that kind of disorder right there. Where would you fit in Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, socials? Yeah, just kind of more of a like a social media thing and more of a what would be referred to as like screen addiction. I'm doing air quotes right now. So. Yeah, right, <laughs> but, right. But that's something that people do get addicted to, I suppose. And they get more addicted to the feeling of like, you know, people getting giving them responses, people giving them upvotes, people giving them likes. They're more, I think, interested in like the feedback that they're getting. And there's yeah. also that kind of like fear of missing out. Like that definitely plays a part in it as well. Have you so are have you ever fallen into any of those traps? Like, what are your regimens, I guess, to keep yourself uh, on the straight and narrow as far as that stuff goes? Uh, well, back when, back when I was a teenager and back when I was a lot younger, I gained a lot. Um, and this is this is actually something that's really important because I I, I make the distinction of okay. Of, of kind of three different things here. And this is something that I'm hoping to kind of maybe do a little bit more research in the future. Like I'm, I'm actually in talks with a university professor to maybe hopefully do some actual research around stuff like this. Oh, cool. Um, so there's the gaming addiction, internet gaming disorder, that kind of stuff. So that's one. There's like an actual addiction going on. You know, this person is playing games day in, day out, and they're not gaming. They're thinking about gaming. They're neglecting all sorts of things because of gaming and all that kind of stuff. Like, boom, there's an internet gaming disorder or something like that. That's one. Two is the more of a compulsive behavior. Mm -hmm. So gaming, I think, can become a compulsive behavior. So if someone is, you know finds themselves in some sort of situation like it's very specific almost all the time like in my experience when i've been sitting with people so if they've got like deadlines coming up and deadlines really stress them out um maybe they'll kind of gain to avoid thinking about the deadline basically so and it's and they don't even realize that they're doing it basically so it's not necessarily an addiction but it's a compulsive behavior okay Um, so and then there's gaming as a coping skill gaming as a coping method and so I think, you know, I work in, especially when I was working at the hospitals, it was like a super stressful job. So when I would come home, I would just be like, I just need to game and not like think about the stuff that I saw and heard today. 100%. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, and people that, you know, have high stress jobs or something, like they just might want to come home and be like, I need to deal with this. But then also for a teenager or for a kiddo, if there's problems in the household, um, if there's family conflict, if there's something happening, they might be like, okay, well, mom and dad are arguing again, or there's, you know, mom and dad or someone is drinking again or something like that. And I don't like being around that. So I'm going to game or, uh, what I find a lot of the time, actually, this is something that I've run into a lot is there was a recent move, whether the family moved or, uh, one of the, uh, kids, friends, best friends moved away. Hmm. And so the kid's social circle was disrupted. And so there was a, well, now I don't know how to, now I don't really have friends. I don't, I'm not really a part of anything. I don't feel like I'm good at anything. So I'm just going to game because that's where my friends are. Yeah. No, I could, I could see that for sure. Mm-hmm. Ha- have you seen any, so how old are you? I'm 32. 32 or 42? 
32. 32. I, I was amazing for 42, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was like, good grief. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm 32 as well. So we're the same age. Um, so we, um, our youth, as far as what the levels of gaming and internet and all that that was available is, is way different from now. Have you, and so I wonder with my friends, um, I don't have any kids yet, and I'm, I'm just kind of observing my friends' kids and how much they let their kids have screen time and there's that constant debate and all that. And, and I keep reading, I guess still no one's really sure what's, what's going on long-term, but have you seen any, any like personal anecdotes or evidence of like kids that were like YouTube babies or just kind of the kids that were, when they were growing up, their parents would just give them the iPad or whatever as kind of a pacifying thing. Like, has that come up at all? Or cause what I was telling someone earlier, what's been interesting for me is that the teenagers that I deal with are inpatient. And so I figured that all I would hear all day is, Oh my God, give me my effing phone. But I don't. So I'm like, Hmm, is there, is it, is it different for them since they have, they've literally known nothing else? Is there something different going on as opposed to me that got it later in life? So I was just wondering if you've had any dealings with that, with kids dealing, um, getting their hands on this stuff at like, you know, two, three, four years old. Mm -hmm. Well, there's some pretty, from what I've seen, there's some pretty good evidence. There's a type of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy called CBTIA, which is cognitive behavioral therapy for internet addiction. And in that there is a model of, Hey, here's just kind of a little breakdown of how much you or how much it's healthy to kind of expose your child to technology, how much it's okay. And at what age, And so it's just kind of broken down a little bit. So basically, before the age of three or something like that, it's like, do not expose your kid to technology at all. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before three, not at all. Yeah, like before three, like no YouTube, no nothing, no internet, something like that. It's just like, do not do that. Like, And then like six and under or between three and six, it's kind of like, you know, some general family TV time or something like that. Um, But still like no real internet time for the most part. And then once you get into the ages like 9, 10 or so, it's like maybe 45 minutes or so of, you know, monitored internet time or gaming time. And it's got to be age appropriate and all that stuff. And then once you get into the more like young teens, then it's kind of like two hours per day, a little less monitoring because they got to try to become a little bit more independent. And then, uh, but still like age appropriate and that kind of stuff. And also teaching them a little bit more about like, hey, you know, you, you have to monitor like the two hour limit, I suppose. Oh and then, God. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then kind of beyond that, it's just kind of like monitor, try to keep it below three hours for the most part, because now you're 18 and you're an adult and all that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, there's in, in kind of behavioral therapy for internet addiction, the guideline is basically like before the age of three, like no exposure to technology period. I don't, of all, of everything that you just listed out, I can't think of a single friend that has uh, abided by that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Like, nobody abides by that. <laughs> no. I was like, that just, like, two hours for a 12-year-old is like, oh, good luck. Have fun oh, yeah, that. yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, all the people that I work with are like, um, you know, oh, I, they want to play with their friends and everything. So they're like, two hours is not enough, you know, for, no, for no. That, that's, that's the excuse that I hear a lot of the times, you know. 
Yeah. So what about you? So do you have rules for yourself as far as let's go down the list. Like, so what about phone? Do you have, do you give yourself X amount of hours? I mean, I don't really look at the phone that often. If I do look at the phone, I, it's for, I, I guess one of my vices would be Reddit. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I like, especially over the past year or so, I've kind of fallen out of love with Reddit. Like I just like, I, I haven't really been enjoying the time on there and everything. So, um, but Hey, there's memes. I got to get my memes from somewhere. You got to get your memes, man. You got to get your <laughs> meme fix. But, uh, so no, I, uh, if I have my phone with me, I will kind of have something on YouTube, like a podcast in the background. A lot of the podcasts I listen to are also on YouTube. So I'll throw them on or Spotify. Um, so a lot of social media stuff, like I think on my Facebook, I've only got like 70 Facebook friends. Like I'm not hard. Like, and that's only recently because like I started actually like friending people like who are also in the Seattle comedy scene and uh, kind of doing a little bit more with that, I suppose. But, uh, Instagram, like I hardly ever do anything on Instagram. Um, there's a phrase, I think that even Rafi May, I think said this, I don't know why I'm quoting him today a lot, but he said, like, don't promote anything unless if you have something to promote. And so, so I'm yeah. kind of like, all right, well, what do I have to promote? Not a whole lot going on right now. So, yeah. And, uh, so there's, there's that kind of thing. But with gaming, I'm usually pretty busy. So I don't really have a whole lot of time to game the way that I used to. Mm-hmm. And so I also play uh, Counter-Strike Global Offensive. So I play that a lot. And I found that even after 45 minutes to an hour of that, I'm not even having fun anymore. So, wow. So yeah. have so since when when would you say the last time in your life it was problematic for you? We're talking like a decade, like years? Oh, yeah. It's been years since okay. it was really problematic and whatnot. There's, but there's also, consider this, there's also been times, this is where I get excited, I think, is there's so much talk about the negative sides of gaming sometimes, but really gaming is mostly positive. It's mostly positive experience. And so you can, I I give a little leeway. It's like context is everything because I can play a game like The Last of Us, which is very story driven. And I'm playing mostly for the story. Like, please tell me the story. Mm -hmm. And there are other games that maybe take four, five, six hours to complete. Like, I can't sing the praises of the game Firewatch enough. And so that's a game where you can kind of just sit down and play it through in one sitting, but you're there for four to six hours. And so what is the experience that you're getting in that kind of stuff? Well, you're getting a really enjoyable narrative journey, which probably has a really interesting message or even something that you're wanting to stick with you after you've done, you're done playing it a little bit. Like, I wonder what this meant or I wonder what that meant. What was the message there? Like, why did this scene hit me so hard? Like, I like interpreting that kind of stuff. No, sure. And I I have, um, I have a, a group of friends in North Carolina that I literally, um, met through Facebook and then I met one of them through Facebook and met the rest of them, uh, on PlayStation. And we just started like playing rocket league together. And now like I'm going to one of their weddings next year. Like it's, you know, it turned into like a legitimate, uh, friendship. So yeah, I mean, there's, there are a ton of really good applications for it. And I am interested what are your future predictions for where all because kind of the kind of the pre-conversation I was having before this was that you know I I when I talk about compulsive phone use and stuff I'm like well 
this is kind of a ubiquitous thing that isn't really going anywhere. It's going to it's going to change and it's like it's part of our lives for for better yep. or worse. So is it just something to be are we still just learning the rules of it and the etiquette of it and the 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 layout of the land or whatever, but what do you kind of see happening in the future? I, I have some concerns about that. Um, and I'm going to maybe put on my tinfoil hat a little bit. Please do. <laughs> I'll put on my like Illuminati kind of thing. Yes. Here but uh, one of the things that I want to do is like, and put out there is that like, yeah, I work with gaming. I work with gamers and gaming addiction, things like that. I always want to make sure that if there is a problem that it's being addressed, but I also don't want to create hysteria around the issue. Totally. I don't, I don't, I don't want there to be this kind of idea that just like video games, everybody's addicted and everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, what's happening with your children will surprise you more at 11. You yeah. Know, that, I don't understand it. So I hate it. Yeah. And so, well, that was the thing that happened in like, I think the mid nineties, like 94, 95. Yep. The, doom the, and... Well, yeah. Like after doom, and the APA, the American Psychological Psychiatric Association, created this internet task force, and they were designed to do they were they were tasked to do studies around internet gaming addiction and video game violence or something like that. And I mean, you got to count for age somewhere. Like these people were PhDs. You can kind of run the assumption that they were in their like 50s, 60s, 70s in the mid 90s. They did not grow up with video games, and so their findings and the studies were actually pretty. Uh, pretty lousy by by what standards would be, and that's kind of a common concern amongst research. It's like, and amongst gaming, uh, the gaming community is like, hey, the people that are telling me that this is bad, they themselves are not gamers. Like, yeah. they don't, you know. And so there's this, this there's a there's an age gap there as well. So I, I like to try to make sure that if there is a problem, it's being addressed. Um, but also, I don't want to create hysteria. That said. Oh my God, there's big problems. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I'm more concerned right now with um, the tie-in with gambling. That's something that I'm really concerned with right now because there's a lot of push from companies um, whom I don't know if I should name, but if you're in the know with these stories, there's some big video game publishers and companies that are really pushing for things like loot boxes and microtransactions. I mean, I'll say it, EA. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> But it's, I don't even think it's just them anymore. But I think like 2K Sports as well with their with their NBA game and everything. Like there's literal slot machines. There's little roulette wheels, and then there's yeah. And uh, Grand Theft Auto opened a literal casino online. Yeah, exactly, it's just so blatant and everything. And there's a lot of discussion around that right now. Um, hey, you're exposing kids to gambling. Hey, you're exposing teens to gambling who don't really know the value of money. And that's something that I run into where like a kid will. You know, the credit card's tied to the PlayStation account or the Xbox account or something like that. And they can just, like, click and be like, order, 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 order. Like, give me more money for this casino or give me money for this loot box. And it's like two bucks here, two bucks there, three bucks here, three bucks there, something like that. And it really kind of plays into the, um, you know, just that kind of delayed gratification versus instant gratification kind of side that kids and adults even have as well. Um, So that's something that I'm concerned about. And it seems like that some people, especially in Europe are becoming a little bit more wise to it and they're creating legislation and bans. I think Belgium has banned loot boxes and that kind of stuff in general. Yeah. Um, Which is, which is awesome. Yeah. So that's a, um, that is a very, I think 
Yeah, I don't think I'm. Yeah, you said New York is one of the country, the states in the U.S. that's looking at actually making laws around it. Uh, no, there's there there was like I think a Republican congressman who kind of brought something up, and I can't remember what state that he was in, but um, Europe actually, Belgium was a country that I think outlawed loot boxes and that kind of like one night gambling and stuff, and the United Kingdom was. Uh, looking into it, and I think they kind of grilled EA about it for a while, and that was pretty big gaming news for a minute. Um, but the problem is, is that they hinge too much on the definition of gambling, yeah. and so they're like, "Well, gambling is actually when you put real money into something with the prospect of winning real money back." And there are roundabout ways that that can happen, like through Steam crates, like in Counter Strike Go, like you can buy a crate and then you can kind of sell it under the Steam market or something like that. But that just goes into your Steam wallet. That doesn't go into your own pocket. Yeah. So there's all this kind of talk about like, oh, well, they're not actually winning real money. So it's it's it's, it's not just actually... like ridiculous loopholes. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's. Well, a... I mean, you look at. I mean, even that's. It, that's that's a strategy as old as Chuck E. Cheese, right? Which are just yeah. casinos for kids. Um, but yeah, that that will be an interesting thing, especially yeah, because the it is crazy interesting just because of how much change has happened in ten years, and we're just finishing out the the twenty tens. It's like I I really am not sure. Um, I try not to be a doomsayer too, but it's like for every move in the positive direction we go, it comes with so much BS. It seems like, and just like unintended consequences seem to be the, and lately intended consequences with like, you know, the Facebook exec talking about like, you know, how they specifically arrange it to hit dopamine hits and like to be refreshing and scroll time. And it's all. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's been, um, I was talking with a couple of people over at, or I don't know, some people might be familiar with Restart. It's an internet gaming addiction kind of rehab facility out here in Washington. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. So it's I've the been first talking, of its kind, isn't it? I don't know if it was the first of its kind. It might be the first of its kind in America. In America, uh, yeah. Yeah, but uh, but it's it's definitely the one that's kind of gotten the most attention and most prom- prominent, I suppose. And so there's one of the things related this kind of blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah. I was trying to figure out where I was going with that. So they submitted a letter. There was a, the, the leader over there, Hillary Cash. She signed a letter, I believe, along with a bunch of other psychologists um, and psychotherapists and all that kind of stuff to the APA. They signed a, they all signed a petition, a letter that says like, hey, you need to actually denounce and actually say that we people are not allowed to do this because apparently psychologists were being contracted by gaming companies to kind of do studies and to kind of share information and kind of be um, kind of these like contracted people to say like, okay, here's how you try to get people to play your game more, you know, and actually talking to psychologists. And there was an open letter that was signed by a bunch of psychologists and therapists saying like APA, please denounce this behavior. Like this can't continue. And I don't, I don't know if they ever actually responded to it. I would hope so. Yeah. Well, Ross, this has been awesome, dude. I thank you for uh, finally. I'm glad we finally uh, arranged this. I know it was it was a long time coming. Um, yeah. No, 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 no. I am so sorry that it took so long to connect because uh, the past month was so bananas for me. So uh, I'm glad that we were able to find time and everything. Yeah, tell everyone where they can find your podcast one more time. 
Yeah, so uh, my podcast is called No Normal Podcast. It's pretty much wherever you find podcasts. Um, it's on uh, Apple, iTunes, it's on Google, it's on Spotify, um, it's on Breaker, it's on all that kind of stuff where you get your podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm online. I'm on Instagram as Ross Tokosh Comedy because that's, 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 like, that's where my Instagram is. It's more for comedy's sake, I suppose. Nice. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, please check out my podcast, uh, New Normal Podcast. And uh, yeah, if you want to hear like comedians talk about their bits and comedians talk about how they uh, reconcile with their own kind of mental illness and mental health and bring that to the stage and all that good stuff. Cool. Well, Ross, thanks again, buddy. All right. Well, thank you so much for this.